0: Welcome to Liberated Living Ministries with John and Beverly Sheesby. You're listening to the Seed to Seed message for September 2023. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com. Grace to you and greetings to you from Bixby, Oklahoma, where at last the heat of summer is winding down. We were officially. Uh, initiated into fall this past Sunday and uh, we've had some wonderful rains so that the creek at the bottom of our property has been running it was dry all of summer because we didn't have much rain at all and so it's, it's such a refreshing time of the year at the same time leaves are starting to turn on some of the trees around our property and so it's a reminder that fall is coming. So there was no August message, as all of you are aware of. We had a busy season with travel. We had a shop fix up in Murfreesboro, uh, the annual hackers conference uh, that we went to. And then we had traveled to Colorado, a couple of trips to Texas. We had visitors uh, in our home and just a busy season and really, honestly, i didn't feel ready to preach this message because it's i've spent so much time meditating on this word and as you'll see it's a complex word so it's it's taken time for me to have all this these concepts really gel in my spirit and i pray that you're going to be blessed by this message first let me say this that we have been abundantly blessed we are so grateful to God for the faithfulness of his people in supporting the ministry. We have been so blessed and we just wanted to say thank you to all of those who are so faithful in supporting the ministry. And we want to give glory to God for his goodness to Bev and I. We are doing well physically and just blessed in every way. Our eldest grandson, Noah Jones, turns 21 tomorrow that's a big milestone of course those of you in south africa know uh, that we used to make such a big deal of the 21st birthday gaining your majority and we'd have big parties i can remember at greenfields church greenfields baptist church having big parties for everybody's 21st birthday noah is uh, in his junior year in oral roberts university which means he's in his third year and um Then Ava has just started, she's in her freshman year or her first year for those in South Africa. Uh, So they are doing well, Uh, all of the grandchildren are doing so well, and we're so blessed. So this month I'm going on with my series on restoring daddy's picture, and this is part three and the uh, i guess the the aspect of god's character that jesus came to restore and to correct a, such a wrong understanding of and as you can imagine it's so complex because of the ethos into which jesus came with the message of the new covenant but the title is jesus revealing the Father's non-judgmental love and grace. And I'm going to read from John chapter 3, well-known verse, of course, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And really that word should rather be translated there as judged. Condemned combines in the word the the aspect of already having passed negative judgment. But the word is just judged. He did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus' f- function in coming to the earth was not to come. As a judge and adjudicator of the law, as we're going to see, he came to bring in a new covenant of God's grace. The word became flesh, John says, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth so as opposed to the old covenant ethos into which he came and was born he came full of grace and truth and so his whole purpose was not to judge the world but that the world through might be saved then verse 18 he who believes in him is not judged but he who does not believe in him is judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of god so we're going to develop these themes as we go through so jesus didn't come to judge the world he came to save the world and we'll talk about the judgment that is on mankind through unbelief Uh, those who believe are not judged but those who do not believe are judged already because they are under the judgment of sin through Adam and also the Old Covenant. Then I want to just read a few verses from John chapter 5. Most assuredly I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does." And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him." And so he's saying here that the father judges no one. The father rather is in the life-giving business as the father raises the dead and gives life to them. Even so, the son gives life to whom he will. When the law entered, when sin entered, first of all, through Adam, the judgment of death was passed upon all mankind. And then the law just reinforced that judgment of death, the soul that sins, it shall die. And so now he is in the life-giving business he sent his son to impart life and so jesus could not impart life if he came as a judge and was always evaluating everybody's behavior so the father judges no one and then in john chapter 8 jesus makes this statement to the the woman who was caught in the d- adultery he said woman where are the, those accusers of yours has no one condemned you she said No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And then verse 15 and verse 16, You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone but I am with the Father who sent me. So Jesus says, I judge no one. The Father judges no one, and I judge no one. Now you say, that's a very, very big departure from the revelation of God under the old covenant. And that is certainly true because, and this is one of the things that I've tried to emphasize over and over again in my teaching ministry, and that is this, One of the things that the church has done very poorly is differentiating between Old Covenant reality and New Covenant truth. And there is such a strong division between the Old Covenant reality and the New Covenant truth. And so many get stumbled at that point because they mix the two covenants. There is not a clear division of of Scripture, of understanding that the old covenant is in effect until Jesus dies on the cross, and then He initiates a new covenant, which He foretold when He took the, that the cup and the bread on the night before His death and instituted this new. Supper, we call the Lord's Supper. I like to call it a covenant meal because he was really entering into a covenantal meal, a covenant with his disciples and with all who will follow and believe in in his name. And so we've been very, very, very lax in not dividing accurately. For example, so much of what Jesus taught in his ministry was under the old covenant and you have to have the, the the inside of the Holy Spirit to be able to discern what is true under the old covenant and what is the truth that carries over and into the new covenant of what Jesus taught. And there is so much that does carry over, but the rest is for us to rejoice over that we are not under that bondage anymore. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to enforce the law until on the cross he fulfilled the law and we died with him so that as Romans 7, 4 says, therefore, my brethren, you have died to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married to another, even to him that was raised from the dead. That you might bring forth fruit unto God. Now, let me share with you a word of testimony. And some of you have heard this. Those of you who have listened to my series on the goodness of God and also now in the series Up Close and Personal, we finally got the links all working on Up Close and Personal. I encourage you to listen to that because I bring out there that God always had in his heart to have relationship with man. And of course, sin was the first thing that brought alienation It didn't alienate God from Adam. God still came to Adam to commune with him in the garden. Adam hid himself from God. Sin brought about alienation. And then, as I said earlier, the law reinforces the effects of that sin. And so Jesus comes to do away with that. And so my whole passion has been to preach and to teach on the goodness of God as revealed in the New Covenant. And it started really, or my insight into the goodness of God came about because when when the Lord told me to stay at home for the year of 1989 and not to minister during that year, and I started doing some work for Bill James in James Contract Draperies, And I was on a trip down to Orlando. We were going to do some installation. I was with another brother, Marion Warren, who was also a music evangelist. And the two of us went down together. And Marion asked me this question. He said, how did you get free? And so I shared my testimony from Romans 5, 17, and how hearing a word on that verse, how much more shall they who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How the Lord spoke to me through that lay preacher at our Businessmen's Fellowship who kept repeating, the way to reign is to receive. And I kept arguing internally that it wasn't that simple. But that was the verse that started my quest and my journey into the discovery of grace led to me pulling the trailer to the seaside resort in January of uh, 1982 and locking myself away and studying the book of Romans and the book of Galatians until the truth of the new covenant and righteousness by faith dawned upon my soul. And what a liberating truth that was and although I only received it in kernel form at that time, it has continued to grow and grow and grow until the glory of the new covenant has so saturated my heart and filled my life and obviously transformed my ministry. So as we're driving along and I share that verse, Marion says, let's read the whole chapter. He pulls out his Bible and he started Romans 5 verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, etc. And as he read on in Romans 5, he came to this verse. In verse 7, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And that arrested me. As Marion read those words, hearing it perhaps from a different voice, I'd read that verse so many, many times before. But as Marion read that, I said, whoa, stop the bus. Why does Paul set a good man above a righteous man? He's saying, scarcely, I'm going to put it in colloquial English, hardly anyone would die in the place of a righteous man. But in the place of a good man, some would even die. And that just arrested me. Why would he put a good man above a righteous man? And I began to study on that whole subject, the goodness of God and righteousness. And I believe this is what Paul was trying to communicate. A righteous person, someone who is pursuing righteousness, by what they do, by the works of the law, is a person who continually measures their behavior. And when you get around them, you continually feel measured by them. And so it's uncomfortable being around righteous people. We would call it this side, self-righteous, because they're trying desperately, as Romans 10 Uh, it says about the Jews, they being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. So a person who is going about to establish their own righteousness, this is exactly how I was in my relationship to God in my younger years. I was trying to excel, trying to be better than everybody else. If somebody at Bible school got up at Quarter to six, I got up at twenty to six. I had to be better, my righteousness had to be better <laughs> than others. I, excuse me, I just have to chuckle at the absurdity of what I was trying to accomplish. But I was so intent on trying to be as righteous as possible. And the problem with someone like that is this since they're always measuring them own behavior. They carry around with them a big old measuring stick and they measure the behavior of everyone else. And That was the Pharisees the Pharisees were absolutely intent on gaining righteousness through the works of the law. Of course, they failed miserably, but you would never know it from their behavior in front of the people because they paraded themselves and they did all these outward acts of subservience and submission to the law. But as Jesus said, they were like whited sepulchers. Inside, there was so much evil in their hearts. And so it's like, The the pursuit of self-righteousness as you're measuring yourself, you measure everyone else around you. And so Jesus came under their wrath because he did not keep the rules of the law and they became irate with him. And really, because of his not keeping the law, that's the reason that he ultimately died, because he was not a law keeper. But of course he he kept the law of god perfectly but he didn't keep all the rules that they had developed around those rules for example healing on the sabbath he did that continually and it was some Do you think he did it to provoke the Pharisees. But really what he was doing was revealing the character of the Father in the midst of the law, that the law wasn't to be a burden to break somebody's back. The law was meant to be a protection for people. But in the midst of it, they had made so many little minute rules. And as a result, Jesus ran foul of their interpretation of the law. And so they criticized him continually for being a lawbreaker. But in their criticism of him, they unveiled or revealed something that is so phenomenal about Jesus, and that is this, that he wasn't a judge. He hadn't come to judge. He was revealing the Father's nature in being non-judgmental. And so they ascribed to Jesus, they said, and Jesus reported this of them he said you know john came eating and drinking and you say he's got a demon you said the son of man comes eating and drinking and you say look a glutton and a wine boober, a friend of tax collectors and sinners man the, there's a old hymn that has been going through my spirit the last few days as i've meditated jesus what a friend for sinners ha, i love that the pharisees recognized that he was a friend of tax collectors and sinners why why would tax collectors and sinners be so comfortable being around Jesus that every time they were going somewhere to eat, they wanted him along with them? And so all the Pharisees saw that whenever they saw Jesus, he was either coming or going to another meal. Because he loved people, he wanted to be with people, and because he didn't have judgment in his heart, he wasn't there to scrutinize their behavior, he wasn't there to evaluate and assess and pass judgment and condemn. He was there because he loved people, and he came to reveal the Father's love for people. He was not a judge, as God is not a judge. According to what Jesus revealed, the Father judges no one, and the Son judges, Jesus said, I judge no one. The Father is not in the judgment well. Some of you are going to argue and say, well, what about all the Bible verses about judgment? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) The law is what creates the whole thing of judgment. Um, The law brings about wrath. The law brings about death. I, I, I love Romans 8 and verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. See, the law was designed to reveal man's sin and in so revealing their sin to pass the judgment of death upon mankind. But we're not living under that law. We're living under a new law. The law of the new covenant is the law of the spirit. And I'm going to develop that a little bit more as we go along. But Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees under the old covenant. And so he made statements like this. Those who don't believe are judged already. Why are they judged? Because they fall under the judgment of the old covenant. And so it is only those who have come into the new covenant to escape the judgment of the old covenant. And you come into the new covenant by what? By believing on Jesus. He said, those who believe in me are not judged. Those who don't believe are judged already. They are judged by the law. And because of the Pharisees and the scribes, Adhering so much to the law, Jesus said to them, by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned because he said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so they were full of legalism. And so because they were full of legalism and judged Jesus by the Lord, j- Jesus said, you are determining the basis upon which I relate to you. And so my I'm not judging you, but the law is, is judging you. It's so well illustrated in the parable of the pounds, where the the one uh, servant who took that one pound and buried it, he said to the master, when the master was calling his servants to give an account, he said, I knew that you were an austere man. You gather what you have not scattered. You reap what you have not sown. And I was afraid. And I went and buried that pound. Look, here is yours. And the master responded, said, you wicked and slothful servant. Listen to this. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you. OK, your mouth is either confessing the new covenant or or else you're confessing the old covenant, you're confessing condemnation, you're confessing judgment, you're confessing weakness, failure, you're confessing shame, you're confessing guilt. Don't go there. Don't go there, because out of your own mouth, you will be condemned. I I love what James says in James chapter 2. He says, so speak, and so act, and this is my translation, as those who want to be judged by the perfect law of liberty, so speak and so act as those who want to be judged by the law of liberty. Our actions and our speech are going to reveal what we are going to be judged by. If we continually confessing sin, confessing weakness, failure, shame, guilt, and all the fear of the old covenant then guess what that's the basis upon which we are binding God to judge us so he says this justice without mercy will be shown to the one who judges without mercy and that begins folks with judging yourself if you keep continually judge yourself when God isn't judging you, then you are condemning yourself through your words. Your your actions are condemning you. And he says this mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is superior to justice is another way to translate that. See, God wants to show mercy and kindness. And that's what Jesus came to reveal. That's dimension of the father that had been so obscured by the law. He had revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 34 when he proclaimed his goodness and he said, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in mercy. But that dimension of God's character had been lost completely in the midst of all of the judgmentalism of the old covenant. And so Jesus comes to reveal that true character of God to us, that he is merciful and gracious and because of jesus being so full of non-judgmental love non-judgmental mercy non-judgmental grace sinners loved to be around him they felt comfortable in his presence because they did not feel measured they didn't feel as if jesus was scrutinizing them and so they loved to be with jesus Luke 15 and verse 2, the judgment of the Pharisees said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Wow. Sinners felt received by Jesus. They felt fully accepted. They felt rejected, obviously, by the Pharisees because they couldn't measure up to the standard of of. Self-righteousness that the Pharisees promoted, but they didn't feel that coming from Jesus one little bit. And so they saw him as a friend, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. I love that about Jesus, don't you? Oh, this covenant, this new covenant is phenomenal. It's so wonderful because it's revealing the Father's true nature. First of all, in the behavior of Jesus as he reveals the Father's nature. But then secondly, in all the teaching of the new covenant, we understand that righteousness is not about our performance. We become righteous not by what we do, but we are righteous because he gives us the gift of righteousness because we believe in Jesus and therefore there is no condemnation. But so many of you are going to argue. What about all the verses in the scripture about judgment and the judgment day that is coming and the final judgment? Well, we read that Jesus, God the Father, has committed all judgment to the Son. And Jesus then said, I judge no one. But ultimately, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30, Paul says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. There is coming a day in which God is going to judge the world through Jesus. But, ha 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 ha, guess what? We are not under that judgment. Why? Because we have believed in Jesus. He said, those who believe in him will not come into judgment. There's a fascinating verse of scripture where when Paul was in Antioch of Pisidia and spoke in the synagogue, And he was rejected, or the word that he was preaching was rejected by the Jewish people. He said this, verse 38, Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Then they rejected it, and then this is what Paul says in verse 46, Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was not necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. By their rejection of the message of the gospel, they were really passing judgment on themselves. They were judging themselves unworthy of eternal life. God has has provided a salvation for every human being on the face of the earth. Earth. if they will believe in him whosoever will can come whoever believes in him john three sixteen says uh, has eternal life and they were judging themselves unworthy of eternal life by rejecting the gospel message and the free offer of salvation so let's go back to this whole concept of and i want to just focus in on us, those of us who are believers, because I tell you, one of the things that I've discovered is this, that the enemy works over time to judge us and to cause us to judge ourselves. And so it's important for us to look at what the scripture says. What shall, shall we say then to this Romans 8 and verse 31? What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, he's talking about life in the Spirit. And I said I was going to come back to Romans 8 and verse 2. For the law of the Spirit has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of Moses was designed to reveal man's sinfulness and to pass the judgment of death on him. If you're God and you promulgate a law, you have got the power To enforce that law, he said to Adam and Eve, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. Satan said to Eve, you will not die. They ate of the fruit and they therefore by their action brought the judgment upon themselves that God had promulgated when he said, "You you, you, you shall not eat thereof. And then when he comes to the law of Moses, he enforces the law of Moses because he has the power to do so. And the the penalty of failure to keep the law of Moses, again, is death. The soul that sins, it shall die. And so we come to these verses, the verse in Romans 8, 2, he says, there's a superior law that has now been enacted And that is the law of the Spirit. And what does the Spirit do? Has He come to convict us? Has He come to manipulate us with guilt, shame, and fear to cause us to change our behavior? No, the law of the Spirit is such a superior law because what He does is He points to the fact That now, because you have believed in Jesus, you have his life. You have eternal life. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Satan, though, doesn't want you to believe that you are completely free to just embrace the life that is in Jesus and he'll keep on harping on your behavior, trying to get you to modify your behavior, to change your behavior, to try to be righteous in your own strength and so on. And when he does that, death comes back on you. It, it just is a deadly place to live. It's living under that law. No, we have come into the law of the spirit and God is able to enforce the law of Uh, the Spirit just as much as he was able to enforce the law of Moses. He's enforcing the law of the Spirit, which is pointing to life that is ours in Christ Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet no longer I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life is in Jesus. There's so many verses in the New Testament. we could talk to. That's where my life now is. And that's the law of the Spirit. Anytime you turn toward the Spirit, what does 2 Corinthians 3.18 say? When anyone turns to the Spirit who is the Lord, the veil is removed. And we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. When you turn to the Spirit, the Spirit is able to do the transformation in you so that you are transformed from the glory of the old covenant into the glory of the new covenant, which is a reflection of the glory of Jesus. As long as you're looking into that old covenant, you're looking into a fading glory, and you're going to experience that all that you pursue under the old covenant fades. It all doesn't satisfy. It doesn't resolve itself. It's a continual pursuit that is meaningless because God is not enforcing the law of Moses anymore. (laughs) Ha ha. That's what you demonstrated when you were baptized. The handwriting of ordinances that was against you was taken out of the way, was nailed to his cross, and you entered into death. And so no longer are you under that law at all. You're under grace, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, following his teaching on baptism. You're not under the law. You're under grace. And so he says, Therefore, he says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're dead to sin. Stop letting the enemy continually point out your failure and your weakness and suppose it's sin to you. That's the work of the accuser of the brethren. He's out to just get you not looking to Jesus as your life and looking to your own performance. So he says in verse 31, then if God then be for us, who can be against us? Now, these next few questions, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? We've looked at that verse before in this series, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? And then there's the statement, and the statement could easily be translated as a question. Is it God who justifies? Is God going to bring a charge against his elect when he's already justified you? If he's declared you to be righteous, how can he point out your sin? How can he judge you for that which he has already declared you justified from? Who is he that condemns? And again, I like to translate this next part of the verse as a question. Is it Christ who died and furthermore is risen? who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Christ is not condemning. He's making intercession for you. Where does that condemnation come from? Where does that guilty feeling, where does that uneasy feeling, where does that fearful feeling, that feeling of dread for the future, where does it come from? It comes straight from the enemy who is using the law to manipulate you in your behavior and cause you to doubt the law Of the Spirit that your life is in Christ Jesus. Ha! Man, that's such good news. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ who died, who fought, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? And he goes into all these things. Yet in these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus comes to reveal the non-judgmental love of the Father, and he did it in his life on the earth so much so that all the sinners love to be around him, not the religious sinners. He was hard on them. Why? Because he judged them according to the way they judged him. They judged him according to the law of Moses. And so they were judged according to the law of Moses. But the sinners who didn't know the law, they just saw a good man, (laughs) a good man who covered all of their failure. Listen, there's no way that Zacchaeus would have repented through any ministry of a Pharisee to himself. The only way Zacchaeus repented was when Jesus' presence came into his house and in the light of the presence of Jesus' love and unconditional acceptance and non-judgmentalism— Zacchaeus suddenly stands and says, The half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded any man, I'm going to restore to him. What did that? It wasn't the law, it was the non judgmental love, grace, mercy of God that was revealed in Jesus. I love that. Now, what about the day of judgment? And I'm glad you asked that question. Because we're going to look at 1 John, because John answers that question for us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment or confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we. In this world, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or fear has to do with punishment. For he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I know it says we love him, but it's just simply we love because he first loved us. So let's break that open. As he is so are we in this world. We are in this world. Our life is in Christ, and Christ is ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we are in him, and he is in us as he is. So are we in this world. And if we could see ourselves already, as Romans 8 says, Whom he did for no, them he also justified. Whom he justified, then he also glorified. In God's economy, we are already glorified. In God's economy, we are already seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, as Ephesians 2 says. If you could see yourself in that position, you wouldn't give in to fear of death. You wouldn't give in to fear of God checking up on you. No, you are, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when you stand before the judgment, All God sees is his son. He doesn't see your failure. He doesn't see everything of your past. It's all gone because he's already declared you to be righteous. He has justified you freely by his grace through faith in Christ Jesus. You're justified you're justified. And so you stand there just as if you'd never sinned. You stand there in clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. You've got on the wedding garment that he came to provide you, that robe of righteousness. And so God doesn't see your past. He only sees his robe like the prodigal son dressed with the father's robe. Anybody looking at the son would only see that lavish A rich robe of the Father that was placed on the Son. He was identified with the Father. So in the same way as He is, so are we in this world. God doesn't see you with all of your past. He sees Jesus when He looks at you. And so he says this, we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness, not slinking into God's presence, intimidated, worried. What is he going to say? What is he going to judge me for? Have I repented of all my sins? No, no, no. That's all old covenant. Listen, you've been justified. You've been declared to be righteous. And so as a result of that, you have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is in in this world, then this Verse: There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Fear involves punishment. See, that's the problem with this hangover of the old covenant. The The old covenant is so full of the punishments for sin and the threats and the warnings of what would happen to somebody who doesn't keep and obey the the terms of the old covenant. And we've not identified the division between the old and the new in the death of Jesus and realize that all of that is gone because. Again, Romans 7, 4, you died to the law through the body of Christ that you might be married or joined to another, even to him that was raised from the dead, that you might bring forth fruit unto God. You are united with Christ. And so now Christ is your life. And so he produces in you the fruit of the father in you, the fruit of the spirit in you. What a better way to live. Fear involves punishment. And since Jesus took all the punishment, let me, let me just take you to John chapter 12. In John chapter 12, Jesus made an amazing statement, which unfortunately our translators have messed up. Listen to this. Verse 27, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, this is John 12, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake then he says this, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. That's what my translation says. There is nothing there for men, as the the King James Version translates it, or peoples as my Version translated. if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. And I believe that in the context of what Jesus is speaking about, he drew all the judgment for sin to himself. And that's why the ruler of this world has been cast out, because if I will believe the truth that Jesus took all judgment upon himself, then Satan cannot hold over me for one second the fear of future judgment. Do you get that? It's really important. Jesus drew all the judgment for sin to himself on the cross and he rose from the dead, triumphant over the grave, triumphant over the power of sin, which is the law, triumphant over everything, nothing could keep him back. And he comes to bring the message of justification. The first words that he spoke when he saw to his disciples, he said, peace peace. He had made peace through the blood of his cross. There was no more antagonism, antipathy between man and God. But Jesus came to declare peace to those who are near and to those who are afar off. He had made peace through the blood of his cross. Oh, I love that. And so because we're having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. See, many haven't just embraced Romans 5.1. They still think God is antagonistic toward them, that God is checking them out, that God is evaluating their performance. Oh, you didn't have your quiet time this morning. You didn't pray. You did this. You did the other thing. No, he's not. He's declared you to be righteous. None of those things which are important for your own spiritual growth are measured by God. He's not carrying around a measuring stick. The measuring stick of the law has been done away with. And so there there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Jesus came to reveal this non judgmental love of the Father, and Paul just unveils it to us. Oh, child of God, I pray that this will get into your spirit and that you'll get rid of the measuring stick. Many years ago, Bev was out with a friend having lunch. And she said to this friend, where is, and she named the name of another uh, lady friend. She said, where is she? And uh, this friend said to Bev, Bev, if your petticoat was sticking out, would you want me to tell you? And Bev said, yes. She said, that lady does not like to be around you because she feels measured when she is around you. And that just broke Bev. She came to me in my office where I was. This was back in the 80s. And she said, do you see this in me? And I said, well, I I plead the Fifth Amendment. No, I didn't say that. But I didn't want to accuse her of anything. And I said, let's ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. And the Holy Spirit just graciously showed her that since a prophetic word was spoken over her by a Sunday school teacher, Instead of receiving that because she was so young, I think six years of age, when the, the her Sunday school teacher prophesied over her that she would be a leader amongst women, Bev had taken it upon herself to always be the leader amongst women, to be righteous, to be Better than others, and the Lord showed her that the 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 self righteousness was the root of that whole spirit of judgmentalism that others sensed upon her, and it broke her heart. And we ministered to her. But the next morning, I was gone on a meeting. She and the kids went to church at Lake Country uh, Baptist Church, and they were singing the hymn "Commune with Me." Commune with Me between the wings of the cherubim. Commune with Me. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there between the wings of the cherubim. And Bev had a revelation of the mercy seat sprinkled with the blood of Jesus, where God meets with us and we can commune with him. And we are clean, we are washed, we are righteous before him. And God did such a healing and a delivering work in Bev right there. And the measuring stick was gone when she saw the revelation of her righteousness in Jesus, that she was welcomed at the mercy seat, not because of what she had done, but because of the blood of Jesus and Bev said after that it was so refreshing to walk into a room and not see what was wrong with everybody which she had thought was part of her prophetic anointing but it wasn't the prophetic anointing it was the effects of the law it was effects of that measuring stick and so Bev has got a wonderful message that she shares about the measuring stick and breaking the measuring stick breaking that and you know in her ladies meetings she would take a, a a yardstick and then get the like, give one out to each woman and give them the opportunity to break the measuring stick in the presence of the Lord and it's so important to get rid of that because he's not judging you god isn't judging you the father judges no one and jesus said i judge no one And now we've come into the new covenant where the judgment has been drawn to Jesus and we are free of that judgment and Satan's power has been neutralized. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of the world be cast out. He is cast out of your life unless you will believe his accusations, unless you will allow the law to manipulate you emotionally and mentally so that you become into agreement with the accusation of the enemy. It's time to get free of that. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for everyone who's listening to this word. Thank you that you are a non-judgmental, loving Father. And you revealed that in Jesus. Jesus came to reveal that characteristic of the Father. And we're blown away that he didn't relate to all the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious people because they rejected him, but he related to broken people. He related to the harlots, to the tax collectors, to the sinners, the rejects of society. They received him gladly. And he was always looking for a place of fellowship with them so that the Pharisee said he's a glutton and a wine Because every time they looked at him, he was either coming or going to hang out with friends at a meal. And those friends were the lowest of the low. But because Jesus had no judgment in him, they didn't feel rejected by him. This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, Lord, if that's true of the sinners, imagine what it's like for us who are your children. Forgive us, Lord, that often we've listened more to the spirit of condemnation and the spirit of judgment that comes from the law, instead of listening to the Holy Spirit, whose law is to point us to life in Christ Jesus. Lord, I'm asking you to deliver your people from the effects of the old covenant, the hangover of the old covenant, and mixing up the covenants. I pray that you'll purify us from that mixture of covenants that we'll become ho- holy and totally convinced of the truth of the new covenant, that we are, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation in this wonderful new law of the Spirit we receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive you as the, uh, the, the one who's come to apply the new covenant. If God made a new law, he is fully able to enforce that law. As we believe, as we by faith receive, we come into all of the benefit and the blessing of that new covenant. So right now in Jesus' name, I just tell that spirit of condemnation, and of judgment to loose the people of God. I rebuke every spirit that has harassed my brothers and sisters. You leave them right now in Jesus' name. And come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the void. Fill the empty space with your glorious presence, revealing the life of Jesus in us, to us, and through us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a new covenant. Thank you for the reality of that covenant. Thank you that we can have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. We're still in this world, but as he is right now in his glorious, glorified state, that's us. We're seated together with him in heavenly places hallelujah 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 make that so real to us that we'll see ourselves seated together with jesus in heavenly places far above all principalities and powers hallelujah we give you thanks in jesus name amen This is the conclusion of this message. Thank you for listening to the ministry of John and Beverly Sheesby. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please visit our website, liberatedliving.com.